Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome out to another episode of the podcast. As you guys can see, I'm starting to put stuff back on the wall. The lighting's a little bit off, but it's better than a blank wall, so I appreciate you guys tuning in. Today's a super exciting episode. Uh, I'm going to be bringing on a former Boise State football player who then played in the NFL, specifically with the Eagles. He had some time with the Rams as well. And we're going to be talking about all of his career from the college days when he was part of the big influx of Boise State football when they took their skyrocketed, basically like a hockey stick's worth of growth um, and and really changed the the history of that program. He was part of that. And then we're going to be talking some some of his favorite memories, his, his teammates and everything from the NFL, the, the life lessons that he took away from his experience there. And what he's doing now is he's going to be coaching locally here in Idaho for one of the schools that's here. Um, and we're going to be talking about what we can expect from him on the coaching side. Uh, massive shout out to everybody who's tuned into the show. I appreciate all of you. Um, if you haven't done so already, make sure you're following me on YouTube. As you guys can see, this is the video podcast. But if you're not, make sure you leave me a review on Apple Podcasts because it helps the show get out to more and more people. Uh, I appreciate you guys all tuning in. And uh, this is the Game Time Guru. So, what time is it? Game Time Boost! This is the Game Time Guru Podcast, where I interview sports figures from all over the world to help deliver a panoramic view on sports. So whether you're a former athlete, one of the crazies, or simply a casual sports fan, this is the perfect show for you as we peel back the curtains and learn from our guests every single week. I'm your host, Shane Larson, and I'm helping you see sports through a different lens. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome out to another episode of the Game Time Guru Podcast. My name is Shane Larson, host of the show. Uh, if this is your first time listening to the show, I, I appreciate you guys tuning in and and joining. Um, I've been doing this for six and a half years. It's one of my biggest passions, interviewing sports figures from all over the globe. Uh, and right now, we truly are worldwide. I want to give a shout out to all my listeners. Uh, the show has been downloaded in 180 countries as of today, and it's been in all 50 states. So I've got listeners all over the globe because I just enjoy hearing the stories from our guests. And so as you guys know, in the introduction, I kind of gave you an explanation of who we're talking to. This is a special one for me because it, it kind of takes me back to my like teenage years when I was in middle school and high school and then kind of following this guy and just coming full circle now being able to interview him and learn more about his story on my platform. His name's Quentin Michael and uh, he's joining the show. So Q, thanks so much for joining us, man. Hey, thanks for having me on, Scott. I'm excited, man. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So we're ready to rock and roll here. Um, first and foremost, we got to talk about before I even actually got to see you play at, at uh, Boise State, I want to rewind the clock and and learn about Quentin Michael from before this and when you started really playing football and taking it seriously and, and some of that stuff. So talk to us about growing up and when you decided to make football your, your main sport of choice. Yeah. So, um, growing up, um, I was born in new Orleans, Louisiana. Um, I lived there, uh, till I was about in the sixth grade. My dad, um, Quentin senior, he, um, he got a scholarship out of new Orleans to play, um, football at Indiana state university. So um, he went he went to college there. I was I stayed in um, Louisiana with my mom. And then um, after he was done playing and he graduated, I went up to move with him when I was in the sixth grade. So that was really like my first intro into tackle football. Um, growing up, you know, with my cousins, we it was like nine of us. So we always, you know, a bunch of us boys would always get together and play. So um, that that was kind of like my my beginning before tackle football. And then um, sixth grade was when I first moved um, to Terre Haute, Indiana to live with my dad. And uh, that was my first year playing tackle football. And, um, you know, fast forward, um, my dad got transferred when I was a freshman in high school out to Eugene, Oregon. 
Um, and I went to Eugene, Oregon. I went to Willamette High School out there. And, um, you know, I, I played, uh, you know, I played half of my uh, my freshman year and then the next three years in high school there. And I uh, had, had a great experience, had a lot of fun, won some games. Um, just luckily, I went to the summer before my senior year, I went to the University of Oregon football camp. And um, I ended up getting defensive MVP of the camp. Um, fast forward to that win, like that winter time, Coach Cutter, Dirk Cutter, got the head coaching job at Boise State, and um, you know that's kind of when they started recruiting me. I guess they remembered me from the camp, and uh, you know they brought me over, and you know the rest is history there. So that's kind of like a, a quick uh, intro to how I, I ended up where you know ended up at Boise State. That's awesome, man. So for the listeners here, I have a lot of young guys. I coach basketball at the high school level here in, in the Treasure Valley of Idaho. And so like a lot of the guys know who you are. Um, they know of you. They they play multiple sports, uh, but they're also trying to like maybe make it to the next level, whatever that may mean for them. And so I want to ask you this question is you mentioned, you know, the, the, the camp and everything. But would you if you had some advice to give to some of these athletes, whether they're football players, or basketball players or baseball players, whatever athlete they are, you know, man, woman, whatever on what it takes in the high school realm, like what you would work on, if you could focus on one thing to like work on to really shaping up your game, like what would it be? Um, you mean on the field, on the field stuff? Let's go, or... on, let's go on the field and off the field. Let's give one on one of each. That's a good question. I would say the the biggest thing, and, and this kind of carries over from, um, you know, off the field and on the field, but the type of, the type of, uh, person you are mentally is is probably the most important thing and that kind of goes with off the field whether you got good grades whether you have um you know any off the field issues and then on the field you know a lot of times coaches recruiters they want to know how you can process things how can you handle adversity how can you handle um when things are going good as versus when things are going bad how can you handle the challenges of Hey, I need I need you to make a play right now. Can you step up? So I would say the whole the overall mental aspect of it and how resilient you are as a person, how much you want it as a person, and um, you know what what are you willing to do to get to your dreams is probably one of the biggest things. I think one of the most underrated things. A lot of my friends coach in the college level, and you know I always I'll send them you know videos or or clips of guys that I think may might help them and play at the next level. And one of the first two questions that I always get, the first one is, how are his grades? And the second one is, um, what other sports does he play? So um, we're seeing in today's world, with some of the sports, you're seeing guys kind of specialize in a certain sport. So I would think, um, you know, coaches, they don't, they if you play football, they don't really, they, they will do it, but they don't want to just sit and watch tape of you playing football right they want to they want to come to your basketball games they want to see how you move with the basketball they want to come if you play baseball if you wrestle so i think those two things are the probably the most important part is your your academic um fortitude your um resilience and mental aspect in, in competition and then how versatile you are as a person and as a player so i think okay. that's probably the biggest things that i would work on if i was trying to get recruited to the next level I love that. Thank you. Uh, I hope everybody who's listening, I always encourage the listeners. Uh, if this is your first time listening, I always encourage you guys to take notes. Uh, there's going to be always like golden nuggets here and there that might, you know, it might sit different with different people. And so like if it, if it resides, like if, if that's something that you 
can relate to, if it relate, relates to your specific situation, pull out your phone, whatever, take notes, pause this, rewind it if you have to, because already uh, Quentin's dropping some knowledge for you guys that can be very helpful if you implement it. So when you went from the high school level to the collegiate level, um, this is a question I have I have for most of my guests that get to play at those levels. What was the biggest transition? Well, I should say, what's the hardest transition going from the high school to the collegiate realm, whether it's academics, whether it's the actual athletic side of it, uh, the intensity, whatever it might be. What was the biggest transition or the hardest transition, if you will? I think the the biggest, the most difficult transition, um, I would say, and I was fortunate because I went to I went to high school in Eugene, and the way they structured all the all the classes in high school back then was very similar to how the structure is when you get to college. So it wasn't as big an issue, but the off the field budgeting of your time, making sure you're setting the right, setting aside time to study, making sure you're setting aside time to get to your classes. Like that part of it probably was the most difficult for many people to adjust to. Cause you know, you have tons of free time and if you're not budgeting your time correctly and, and not getting to where you need to be on time, that's going to affect your, your ability to be on the field. And then uh, I would say the speed of the game, and I know it's kind of cliche to say that, but the speed of the game and and the mental um, the mental part of the game, studying tape, watching film, studying your opponents, those are probably the the biggest ones that were were um, eye opening for me because you know when you're in high school, um, there's you have very good players, and then you have some players that kind of excel, and then um, you know some quote unquote stars. But then when you get to college, everyone is good. And now you're in a locker room with a, as a freshman, you're in a locker room with seniors, you're in a locker room with guys that have been there and, and have the experience and are just as good, if not better than you. So you have to definitely step your game up. So the speed and then the, the off the field time budgeting are probably two of the biggest things that um, were, I would notice would be the biggest adjustment. I want to unbox that a little bit too. the the budgeting of time, just like kind of prioritizing the right things. You know, I, I talked to the kids that I've coached that are all like juniors and seniors in high school. And I try to explain that to them, but it's hard too because there's this balance of like, you want to still let them be a kid, but there's also a sacrifice that's required if you're really wanting to compete at the next level too. Like you, you still want to be able to have your fun. And so I, I guess I would ask you this, if you're you know telling these kids that they're truly trying to be serious about it, and they want to start in high school by, you know, a, you know, prioritizing their time. Do you have any advice on how to do that? Like if they're used to just staying up playing 2K till two or three in the morning and then getting up for class or whatever, maybe like give them some, a piece of advice of like what you would recommend that they do so they can prepare for that next level. Yeah, I would I would tell them and, and listen, I, it's a whole different world than when I was in high school. And so I, I get that part of it. Um, but I would also I would I would I would I would um, encourage them to you know, have their goals, set their goals and what they want. Right. And then, so when it comes to budgeting your time, you have to budget your time versus your goals, right? If your goal is to get, um, let's say, get a scholarship is staying up till two in the morning playing 2k. Is that going to help you get to getting that scholarship? All right. Now it's, it's probably going to help you, um, you know, stress relief and just having fun. And that's a very, very important part of it, but you can also, you know, turn the game off at 10 o'clock or turn the game off at 11 and get to bed at a good time. So I just think that um, it, it really comes down to each person and how much how much it means to you. Now, nobody wants to be robots. We don't want to, you know, you don't want to just, you know, 
every single day I, I have this strict regimen and I, I stick to it. But you also want to be smart about how you're using your time. And the most important part of all of that is rest. So staying up till, you know, 12, to, you know, 12, 30, 1, 2 in the morning isn't going to help you get to your goals any faster. So it's it's a tough one. And, and it's really it, it comes down to each person and really what you want out of your situation. I like that. Just rem remembering kind of like your goals and then you have to adjust around them accordingly. And I don't know, I, I do try to tell them like there's sacrifice that's required if you're going to try to be at that next level, whatever that may look like. So, yeah, sometimes you're you're uh, out off the field or off the court life might look a little different because if you have sacrifice, you got to make sure like what I'm what I'm doing right now, like, is that going to help me get to my goal ultimately? Um, and I like that you just shared that. Um, no, on I, the, can I oh, add to ahead. that, too? And okay. I would add to that, too, like when you're setting when you're setting these these parameters for yourself now it makes it so much easier when you get to the next level to stay within that zone and you'll you'll notice if you talk to a lot of the um you know the stars and the guys that are successful they started at a young age with budgeting their time and making sure they're focused on what they have to focus on because that's really what sets you apart from the next guy so you know everyone had like the knuckleheads in college that that you know they going out staying out late and those guys that yes they made it to college but if your goal is just to make it to college and not really succeed in college then then fine but if your goal is to make it to college and succeed you have to start putting in the work right now i like that man i like it a lot you know q you actually talked about the speed of the game too and you said you know it sounds cliche but that is one of the things i've heard a lot uh from from the athletes i've talked to is like the speed of the game but i would like to ask you what does that specifically mean? Because to give a little bit of context, there was one time I interviewed uh, Kekoa Nawahine, who also played in you know a safety position, but it was years later after you were out of Boy State. And you know, Kekoa told me after he came home from a church mission, you know, two years of being away from the game and coming in, and he had to get right into it. He he mentioned like that was one of the biggest things for him because speed was not necessarily his forte, but his IQ was like he knew where to be and he attributed a lot of that to studying film because he said you have to get places quicker you have to be able to close gaps quicker um in the defensive backfield to try to like you know because these guys are fast and the quarterbacks can get those things timed better and all this stuff so that was interesting to me so i want to ask you a similar question like when you talk about the speed of the game how do you even adjust to that outside of just working on your speed and agility like what would you say would be the best way that like you were able to adjust to the speed of the game yeah, exactly what what Kikoa said, and and I coached with, with Kikoa at uh, at Rocky, and he's he's a great guy, and it's it's uh I'm excited to be on the staff with him. But um yeah, so um exactly what he said though. I mean, everyone is so fast at this level. Um, every every quarterback can make all the throws. Um, you got big, 230 pound running backs that are just as fast as you. So the way that you you even it and the way that you speed your game up is you're processing things faster. You're doing everything in football. You're doing everything pre-snap. So um, the way I would do it, the way I used to do it, I used to check off plays in my mind based on the formation. So if, if I know a team, let's say they're running trips to my left with single receivers, you know, outside super wide, I'm already checking off plays in my mind before the snap even happens because I know, okay, they're not going to run this out of that. They're not going to run that. I could get this. So let me, you know, be ready for that. And so that part of it. And then also a huge part is, is reading your keys and, and focusing on what, you know, when I'm watching tape, I'm saying, okay, when this offensive lineman pops up like this, I know it's, it's a pass. 
if I see him drive out, I know it's a run. So just little simple things like that that I can I can pick up on pre-snap, and then it makes everything post-snap much slower. So that's Super really cool. how you pick up on it. And a little bit, little bit of his experience and a little, little bit of it is just just working and studying. Yeah, no, but that's awesome. And I think um, that kind of speaks to like studying and having the high IQ and learning how to read film, like taking the time to legitimately not just watch it just to watch it, but to digest it and understanding those things because you won't be prepared if if you don't. And I think that's just as important as like, obviously you got to put the physical work in because you got to stay up to that. That is awesome. So mentally and physically, you got to stay ready. And that's, that's so cool. Just checking off stuff, understanding that. Um, you know, I... I watched you all through your Boise State career. Uh, that was more through my middle school and high school days. Uh, I graduated high school in 2006. So it was, you know, you were kind of like in my middle school, high school transition there. Um, and I loved those days. I, I thought that was kind of when Boise State started doing this, like on yeah. their, their hockey stick <laughs> adjustment where it just sky, skyrocketed. But I'm curious, man, do you have a, a favorite memory from your days at Boise State um, that you could talk about? Oh, man, there's so, so many. Um, I'll probably say... For me, one of the biggest was when we kind of um, put Boise State on the map is when we played Fresno State down in Fresno State and they had David Carr. And then I think that year they had just beaten Wisconsin and, you know, Pat Hill was a head coach and we'll go play anybody. And, you know, we went down there into a hostile territory and, um, you know, we came out with a huge win in that game. Um, you know, I, I ended up getting a sack on David Carr. Like it was just a, a fun experience. And that was like really the first time that Boise State, I think, got started getting some national national publicity. And um, so for me, that that probably is the one game that sticks out the biggest for me because it was just a huge win for the program and kind of catapulted, um, you know, where catapulted this program to where it is now. It's so sick. You talk about that. <laughs> I like legitimately remember where I was watching that game. I was at my uncle's apartment watching that game. It was so sick. Now, I can't remember if it was Swilly or not. I just remember there was some dude who got sandwiched. I want to say it was I think it was Swilly. Got yeah. sandwiched and then stayed up and took off. It was one of the sickest plays. Yeah. I just remember those plays. Um, and then at the very end, that was people who who maybe some of the guys that are younger who don't understand that really was the game. That's the game I reference a lot that did take Boise State just up. It just was like, because in their house, you ruined their perfect seat. Like it was like they were yeah. ready to rock and roll into the FBS. Like not the FBS. Like they were going into the, um, they wanted to be in the bowl game and they wanted to be on the map and they were trying to put it. Um, and you guys came in there and just wrecked yeah. their season. Oh, it was so, so many, amazing. So many people made big plays that game. I remember Brock Forsey, um, you know, jumping over, felt like he jumped over like five guys for, you know, for a touchdown and, I mean, it was just just top to bottom. It was just awesome. It was a great experience. <laughs> yeah, that's so cool. You get to have that one. I mean, I'm sure there's tons of them, but that that is a big one, and it's a huge one in just Boise State history as a whole. Like I can remember it as a fan. I freaking love it. Eighth grade, man. That's wild. That feels like I don't remember exactly <laughs> yeah. where it was, but so I'm cool. Um, too. <laughs> <laughs> man, so. Uh, if you could go back, I know we're going to get to the, the discussion about your professional days too, but I want to talk about like just one last thing, your, your favorite teammate or coach that you played alongside, I'm sure there's tons, but like, I want to know who that was and, and like what they taught you, what you learned from them. So that I can show the importance of teammates and how they can influence one another. So I want to know like, who was a teammate that stood out to you from Boise State's days and what did you learn from them? Um, wow. That's, that's a tough question. There's so many, um, I would probably say, so 
two of them. One of my good, one of my good friends I still talk to is Julius Brown. Um, you know, he was a he was a he was a starting corner for us. And Juice used to always watch. Like I would watch film, but I didn't watch it the way he would watch it. And so he really taught me how to how to really study film. And he taught me, you know, to start doing all things that I'm telling you about. You know, checking off plays before the snap. So Julius Brown was probably one that and that that was like very influential on me in terms of like film study. And then, um, you know, my other safety, Wes Nurse, who was, uh, he was a, a safety with me. Now, Wes was, was probably uh, maybe five, he's about my house, so about 5'10", uh, maybe 160, 70 pounds back then. But two things about Wes, he was one of the craziest athletes you've ever seen. I remember seeing, we were playing in, um, in the, uh, the rec leagues in basketball in the off and I remember seeing him come down the middle of the lane and take off from almost the free throw line and dunk over two people. I mean, he was just a phenomenal athlete. And the thing about Wes was, you know, we had a, a nickname for him. We called him Crazy Wes, but he was he would hit you with everything he had in his in his body. And so anytime I was having, um, you know, if, if I was having some pains or some doubts here, I would see Wes coming in and flying in and hitting people, and it would just make me step my game up so more, so much more. So. Those two guys right there, you know, in the defensive secondary were two of my guys that I enjoyed and I learned a lot from. Dude, it's so sick. I like, I know you're like, dude, you're fanboying here for me, but I'm like, <laughs> I know these names. I'm just like, man, it's just fun. It brings back a lot of, a lot of good, uh, a lot of good memories for me because I just remember it as, yeah, a lot of fun memories. My uncle watching these games and just seeing you guys ball out. Gosh dang, you guys were talented. So cool, man. Yeah, um, man fun. <laughs> as you, as you went to the to the professional level, this is where like things get serious, right? You go from being a college athlete to a professional, and we're talking the highest level. Like it's one thing to talk about, you know, professional basketball. It's cool to get to professional levels, you know, whether it's overseas or whatever. But football, the NFL is obviously the pinnacle. That's where it's at nowadays. They've got some other professional leagues. We've got the XFL, USFL, kind of trying to give these guys other opportunities. You got some indoor leagues. The NFL is literally the pinnacle of it all, and it's hard to get there. Uh, and it's hard to stay there and you had yourself quite the career man and it was almost like to me Quentin it seemed like it was kind of like you were the quiet one that just kind of just was in the NFL and doing your thing and I was like dang dude he's had himself quite a good career he's an impact player like frick you did your thing so it was really cool it wasn't like I don't know I'm not saying you weren't this high profile player and at Boy State because you were obviously you were one of the better players it's like one of the best but it just felt like it was one of the we always heard about Brock Forsey you know like he make it in the NFL because he's a little dude and like whatever, but it was like, man, you were, you made yourself quite the career in the NFL. And it was awesome watching you. Granted, I'm a Cowboys fan. So it sucked. Oh, no. like, oh yeah, dude. But, <laughs> no. but I still got respect for you. I want to know, I guess the process of, of getting ready for the draft. And then when that actually happens, because now, now it's not just for fun. Now it's not just getting your school paid for. Now you're actually getting paid to do this. And it's, and it's a lot of pressure on your shoulders, but what was it like, you know, getting into the NFL and then, making the roster and being able to like get going in the NFL. Yeah. So my draft experience was not the greatest. I remember. So, you know, I, I, I had a pretty good uh, career here. And then, so I was expecting to get drafted. I wasn't sure if it would be, you know, in the you know third, third round, fifth round, sixth round. I had no idea. I do remember going on. I, I did a couple of trips. I went to visit the dolphins, the, the chargers, um, the bears, 
um, pre pre draft visits. So I was feeling like, okay, maybe I'm going to get a shot. And I remember a couple of days before the draft, um, Sean McDermott, who's now the head coach at the Bills, I remember him calling me, and uh, he's like, hey, you know, we got this 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 seventh round grade on you. We're, we're trying to see if we can get you, you know, in the seventh round. So I'm like, okay. So he's kind of putting the the uh, the the framework down. And so draft day comes and I go back home to Eugene with my parents and I'm spending the weekend with them. And first day goes and nothing. And then second day goes and, you know, nothing. And towards the end of the draft is when a lot of um, the the scouts and, and coaches are trying to call to get guys to come as undrafted free agents. And so um, I remember Sean giving me a call. And by this point, I'm just like dejected. Like I'm just embarrassed. I'm frustrated. I'm angry because. I, I feel like I had better stats than other guys in front of me that got drafted. And so it was just really a, a, a frustrating thing. And um, I remember talking to Sean and he's like, you know, hey, we're still trying to get you. But if not, if, we, if we're not able to draft you, I want to bring you in as an undrafted free agent. And I just remember being like, man, I'm, I'm just trying to get drafted. Like, I don't I'm not trying to talk about no undrafted free agent stuff right now. But I was like, OK. And so um, hung up the phone. The draft finishes, and then um, the next, uh, I think, couple hours after that's when all the calls come in. I think the Bills were trying to get me, the Bears, and then the Eagles. The Eagles offered me the best opportunity to make the team because they had only they had Brian Dawkins. They drafted Mike Lewis the year before, and besides them, there was no other safeties. So I had an opportunity to go in and compete. They drafted Norman Lynn June out of LSU in the seventh round that year, and so I would be competing with him for a spot. And so I, I'll never forget this. I remember just I was being I was so angry and I went outside and I was just shooting just hoops by myself. And my dad comes out and he's like, you know, how are you doing? And I'll say, I'm I'm pissed off right now. And he's like, well, what are you going to do about it? And I was like, I'm going to show I'm going to show everybody that they made mistakes. And so, you know, that the next day. So when you sign as a free agent, the next the next day you're out and you got, you know, camp stuff. And so. The next day, I packed up everything that I had. I was like, I'm not coming back. I'm going out there. I'm going to make the team. So I packed everything that I had, and then I flew out to Philly, and, you know, that was it. And I went out there and just competed my tail off for, you know, two weeks during training camp, OTAs, all that stuff. And uh, I was able to make the team and, you know, never look back. So, yeah, yeah it, it went from my lowest moment. That that was probably the lowest moment I ever I felt as an athlete in my life. And then, you know, it all came to fruition when I was able to make the team and it was, it was an awesome experience. So that, that brings up such a cool point because you went from being low. Dad says, what are you going to do about it? Tell him you're going to go make them realize they made a mistake. It's one thing to talk about it. It's another thing to walk. Like you gotta, you gotta actually back that up. When you got into the the training camps and everything, like, how did you just, I mean, you knew the athleticism was there. You knew you were ready, but I guess with the added pressures that you put on yourself and you just knowing the situation, I guess, is there anything that you were able to do to just come out there and actually execute? Because some guys, I'll be honest, I'm like, dude, that's such an amazing athlete. But when the pressure is that heavy, mm -hmm. it's hard for him to, to fully, you know, execute. So I'm, I'm curious, like, do you have anything that you did or you yeah. just came out there and went, went wild? I will tell, so this is what I would... I'm going to tell everyone what I what I did and whether it's football, basketball, they can all use it. If you're in the situation I was in, I, I 
my mindset was I just wanted to always be seen by the coaches. And so for me, that meant I was getting there early. When everyone was going off the field, I was staying out there, catching extra um, passes, uh, working on my footwork. I was um, always seen. And even in the tape, <laughs> I remember if I was – so if let's say I was a deep safety on the right side of the field, and let's say through a, a, a check down on the other side of the field, I was sprinting all the way to the ball every single time because I was like, I want them – every time they turn on the tape, I want them to see – and I was number 46 back then. I was like, every time I turn on, they turn on the tape, I want them to see me in that frame at some point. And so I took that mindset with everything. I was sprinting like a crazy person every single play. And I was like, I just want them to see me and see how hard I'm working and all the stuff that I'm doing and that I can do this job. And so with that mindset, and it's funny because the way that I set myself up by doing that as a rookie, it ended up becoming who I was and became contagious with everyone around me, but ended up being who I was my entire career. So anytime I had to face any adversity, I knew already what I had to do. I just had to go out there and not work the next person. And that's all I did. I mean, like you said, everybody's at the same level and what sets someone apart is could sometimes be something as silly as, man, he's always around the ball. Like we, he wants to do this. We got to give him a shot. And so to me, that, that's the thing I would tell, I would tell anyone, if you're a basketball player, you know, make the coaches, if you're trying to make a team, make the coaches tell you to go home, right? Hey, we're closing up, man. Stop shooting free throws. Like go home. If you are a, a soccer player, you know, keep the, the coaches, the, the goalies after, after practice and make them, you know, try to block you block some of your shots if you're a baseball player do the extra batting practice like all that stuff and you want the coaches it's almost to the point where you annoy them to where they're like oh my god this guy never stops like that's kind of the mentality you have to have that is huge dude that right there we could clip that you and just like <laughs> you could throw that out to all your players and rocky and all that stuff like dude this is that's wild that's uh that's such an important concept. Um, make the make the coaches basically be like, oh, dude, this is ridiculous. I'm cutting it. No, I'm I mean, when you think about it, that's guys like Kobe. That's what he would do, right? Kobe, uh -huh. Jordan, all those guys, man. And if they can do it, why can't you? Dude, I, I love that. You know, Q, as you were in the NFL, one of the questions I've asked some of the quarterbacks that I've spoken to that played in the NFL, like Brad Johnson with the Bucks. I talked to Cody Pickett, who's a local guy. But, you nice. know, talking to some of these guys that have at least played at the – at the on the offensive side of the the ball they talk about the play calls and how much different they were than than college right but mm -hmm. i want to know from the defensive side like what the differences were do you have like any examples of what like a coverage or a defensive set was when you guys were putting stuff together in in the pros as compared to that of maybe at boise state no you know defense is is pretty much there's only so many different defenses you can do so the calls are pretty much the same you start with the the front and then whether you have the, you know, like it's over front, so over, and then maybe if you have a stunt, so let's say over twist, which would be, you know, two linemen twisting, and then the coverage behind it. So let's say the, a call would be over twist, um, cover three. And that's, that's really all it is. And there's only so much you can do. Now you can, you know, we did Jim Johnson, who, you know, rest in peace, was a phenomenal head, uh, phenomenal defensive coordinator. He, um, was big into the zone pressures. And so we had a lot of different zone pressures that we had to memorize. So that part was difficult is remember, remembering all of the zone pressures and who's going where and who's got to cover for who that part was the probably the most difficult when it came to 
um, you know, game um, game calls. But offense, I don't know how they do it. I, I mean, they they call a play and they tell each single person what route they're running, what protection. I don't know how the offensive guys do it. That's I remember one time talking to one of my teammates, uh, maybe it was AJ Feely. And uh, just, you know, messing around, told him to give me a call. And uh, it was it felt like it took a minute for him to just say it. <laughs> I, was like, I don't know how you guys do this, man. It's crazy. No, it's funny you say that, because like the reason I even asked those questions on my my podcast with those guys was because I saw an ESPN thing where like Michael Vick and Peyton Manning were talking about like in college, like for Vick, because he was running the ball all the time. It was like Bronco left something seven and it was like it took like 10 seconds or like like five seconds to call the play boom they're ready to go and then they were talking like peyton manning was reciting one of his plays for the the colts and he calls like three plays in one so Mm -hmm. like it took him like 30 seconds it felt like it's like you said you just said it felt like a minute i'm like dude you got to call out all your your receivers have to know xyz where they're going are they in motion are they not they got to know the the split back coverage and then they have to know their audibles they're going to check like I'm like, dude, if you think that football <laughs> players are stupid, you're 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 the idiot because that's hard. You have to actually understand what you're doing. Now, in your position, this is one of the questions I wanted to ask you. I was prepping some of the stuff like, what would I want to know if I was like literally like playing football? But like, this is what I want to know as a fan myself. The the safeties get a lot of the um, like, where are you at? Like, or they're blaming the corners. Like, what are you doing? Like, it's, a, it's a, there's a lot of like that happening in the in the game because of like maybe a blown coverage because you might not be on the same page as the guy in front of you and you're supposed to have their back or you have the right, you have the right coverage, but they thought you had their back. So they get burned. There's a lot of things that happen. And, and I just want to know from the defensive back standpoint, um, was there a tough receiver that caused the most problems for you guys? Like in, in your professional experience that, that stands out to you, like, dude, he was always giving us fits because like, it, you know, we try to get oh, the coverage yeah. on him and, and it was hard to hard. And that happened you know, somewhere that happened where you're like, Dang, dude, I don't know. I just thought he just keeps burning us. Well, who who was that? Uh, there, there's plenty. Uh, Steve Smith was like that because, you know, he wasn't the biggest guy, but really fast, really strong, extreme competitor. Terrell Owens, when he went to Dallas, was I mean, he was a nightmare in practice every day when he was with us. But then when he went to Dallas, he was giving us fits. Um, there's one game in particular, and I talk about it on the podcast that I, I do with a, a friend of mine. Um, <laughs> Out of all people, it was Kenny Britt. I don't know if you remember him from oh, Rutgers. Yeah. Uh, he was at Tennessee, and he he there was a game where he was he wasn't even supposed to play. He gotten arrested for fighting or something like that. So we weren't expecting him to play, and he went for like two hundred yards on us. Like it was like a career game for him. Um, but I would say probably the biggest the biggest was uh, you know To. Um, I, I when I was with the Rams, played against Megatron. That was not fun. Like, <laughs> talk about a guy. He was six five, fast, big, strong, long arms, powerful. Um, he was he was tough to go after, um, to deal with. So those are probably the the major ones for me. You know, Steve Smith, To, uh, Megatron, um, AJ Green. Oh, Larry Fitzgerald. There you go, ah. Larry. That I forgot. I don't even know how I forgot about Larry, but. He used to always, for whatever reason, used to always, um, you know, he'd go off and he never dropped anything. I mean, never. I don't think I've seen him ever drop a pass. <laughs> so those that's, are the, the main guys. Yo, that's that's crazy. Like, oh, 
man, yeah. those names, it's just wild. And most people know every one of those that you just mentioned, even Kenny Britt. Like if you're an actual fan of the game, like, you know, who Kenny Britt is, uh, you never got, he wasn't like the, the top status, but you know, like when you understand the game, you've been around it, you, you know, who these guys are. So that is crazy. Like naming those guys off. See, this is what's so cool about you, man. It's like, you're kind of like the quiet one is like, dude, no, this dude is playing in, against some of the best receivers in the history of the NFL. Like that's wild. Were you there then uh, when T.O. had his uh, fun departure, like the whole media situation where he's up there doing sit-ups at his house after he got kicked out of practice? Were you, were you at that practice that he got kicked out of that went media? Like, yeah, that was out? absolutely that entire, I mean, it was crazy because we had, we had, we had went to the Super Bowl the year before. And um, we didn't win. Um, and the next year was kind of like a reload year. We were bringing T.O. back. but And rightfully so, he wanted a new contract. And he, I think he deserved a new contract. But he went about it the complete wrong way, trying to get it. And um, it was just it was just a nightmare. That season was probably one of the worst I've ever experienced. I remember, so Andy, Andy Reid's phenomenal coach. All of us, we all love him. We all respect him. Um, he's done a lot for the game, a lot for us as, as individuals and, and players and people. And um, I'll never forget the first meeting that we had at training camp. It's usually always like the most quiet one. Um, everyone's like really focused and ready to go. And so Andy, we, we every, Andy's coming in. Everybody's like nice and quiet. Andy walks in. Tio's in the front row with headphones on, blasting music, and just ignoring Andy and like bumping his head in front of everyone. And so everyone in the meeting is like, oh, my God. And to this uh, to this day, I don't know how Andy had the power, but he it, he totally ignored it. It was almost like he was he was ignoring like a, a, a child that was trying to get trying to get some attention. He just totally yeah. ignored it. And the next thing you know, I, I guess Andy sent him home and then that's when everything went off. So it started in the in the team meeting. And then it went to the next thing we know, we see on ESPN, he's doing sit-ups in his driveway. And we're like, come on, man. Well, that's where it all ends. <laughs> oh, man. I bet that is tough. Oh, my gosh. That's funny to see here the context behind it. I, I was just obviously, I was watching ESPN like everybody else was like, oh, he's he's just, he's really lost it, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, you know, but, you know, like I said, he deserved the new contract. Um, he, so what he did the year before was probably the most tremendous thing I've ever seen in my life. At the end of the season, he broke his leg and he came back after two weeks and played in the Super Bowl and had 14 catches. Um, the man slept in a hyperbaric chamber. Like he did everything. He he worked his tail off to get back for that game. And, you know, he he put it all on the line. And so as a as a player and a former teammate, I had nothing but respect for T.O. except for that experience. But him as a player and a competitor was probably none better. And he deserved a new contract. I'll put that out there. He deserved a new contract. You know, it's funny that you're saying that, Quinn, as like as a fan. I'm a Cowboys fan, right? But I was <laughs> I and this is before I ever thought he was gonna be coming over there and I was pissed y'all made it the Super Bowl, you know, I'm whatever. But uh dude, I thought the same thing. I'm like, dang, dude, that guy came back was like what, eight to ten weeks or something off a of broken leg, which was, no, it was less our than guy. That. Was it less? Was it like I think it was, was like it? three weeks or something crazy? Oh, was it that? Yeah, because it was like the towards the end of the season. It was the end of the season against yeah. the Cowboys. I thought Roy Williams was the yeah. one who got the call, uh, horse collar tackle, which is what started the rule. Yep. Roy was. He took out two people. That. He took out Steve that year, and then he took out T.O. that year. It is kind of Bush League, dude. I, I'm not a fan <laughs> of that. I love Roy Williams, but like, I mean, it's, it is what it is, right? I mean, mm -hmm. he pulls him down. And then, yeah, I mean, it was, yeah, it must have been within like two months or less, a month and a half, if that. Like, 
He came back and, you know, it's, it's funny to see it now as a fan because they did the little series of, you know, you know, McNabb had his like discussion. They were around the pool table and they had like that ESPN series or whatever it was, some show a couple of years ago. And then they were talk- talking about that experience. Like, well, I just felt like you were tired during the Super Bowl, puking in the huddle and this and that. And I was coming off broken leg. They did the whole thing. But anyway, it's kind of interesting to see it now and kind of hashing it out. But I mean, it's wild to hear the backstory. Uh, I wanted to ask about that Super Bowl, uh, Quinn. Not everybody gets that opportunity. Like there's players that play their whole careers. They play long careers, whatever sport it might be. And they never have a chance to even set foot in that type of an environment. So I just want to know about your Super Bowl experience. You know, obviously the loss was tough, but what did you learn from that whole experience? And what was it like actually being able to play in one, be part of that experience? The experience was awesome. Um, I I do feel, I would say, a little bit cheated because it was in Jacksonville and there wasn't like it didn't feel like um, like a huge. I don't know. It, the 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 venue wasn't very nice and it was cold for the game, so I didn't feel like I was in the Super Bowl until the kickoff. When the kickoff went and all the lights flashing and all that, then it was like, okay, we're here. Um, so the entire experience, um, once the game started, was amazing. Outside of that, it, it wasn't wasn't really great. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, the one thing I learned, I've learned is if you're playing the Patriots, make sure you know where their video cameras are. <laughs> they're, uh, you know, it's it's a, it's a long running joke that they were intercepting our uh, our, our signals, but um, you know, it was a great experience. I got to see some. I was only a special teams player then, but it was a great experience, and it's something that um, I can always I can always look back on fondly and and just say, hey, at least I got a chance to get there. We didn't win it, but I do still have a ring. It's a second place ring, but I'll take it. You know, it's better than never getting a chance to play in that game, and it was fun, man. It was it was a great experience. Oh, that's cool, man. That's cool. I uh, I did want to. I know you were on special teams, and that's what you just said there. But my question to follow up was like, there's a lot of pressure with that too. And I used to I share this with my players. Like I was a boxer, so when when we get ready for a match, sometimes like the adrenaline's pumping so hard that like you almost fatigue out and you almost forget what you were supposed to be doing. And that's why like I had asked you earlier about like getting into training camp and like being able to actually execute and make sure that you're doing what you're supposed to do. The Super Bowl, there's pressures there too. Maybe you didn't experience it to the extent, but maybe you did. Like, how do you like you still keep the adrenaline, the energy, but like stay focused while that's all going? Because sometimes when the pressure gets really high, you're like, ah, and then all of a sudden everything you just trained for for six to ten weeks, when especially for boxing, it's like the hell was that for? We, now I just lost it all. How do you uh I guess compartmentalize that and be able to be like, okay, Super Bowl, it's awesome. Keep the energy, but let's like get let's focus. Yeah, that was that's a that's a good question, and I think a lot of it starts with the with you know the coaching staff and Andy Reid is was phenomenal at this, and he always used to say, especially in the really big games, he'd always say, "Don't play the game before you play the game," and you know what that meant was, you know, a lot of times if you are playing the game in your head before you play the game, you go out for the warm ups, you're doing all this extra stuff, like you're getting too excited, and by the time the game starts or you know, the, the second quarter, you're just so depleted emotionally and, and physically. And so he always would tell us that, you know, don't play the game before you play the game. And um, I think that that mentality and in going into the game and, and saying to myself and all the players to themselves, like, it's just going to we're going to do one play at a time, one play at a time, you know, good, good play or bad play. We're just going to execute one play at a time and then we'll move on to the next. And that's really how you have to kind of compartmentalize it, because if you know it feels like 
you know, when you're playing, like if you're watching, like it's funny now, like when I watch a game on TV, it feels like it's so long. Like it feels like it takes hours. But when you're actually in the game and you're actually playing it, it just it's like that. And so um, you have to almost make your mind, you have to almost trick your mind into saying it's like each play, there's one play. What do I got to do the next play? And then that helps you kind of get through it and, and focus on, you know, just each task and smaller parts. I like that. It's almost like the neutral mindset. I, I had Trevor Mowat on my show once. He was Russell Wilson's uh, mental coach. He'd help him like compartmentalize. He had a book about staying in neutral, like how to get your mind into a neutral mindset. Like this play right now, what am I controlling now? Then you get to the next play. What am I controlling now? So it sounds kind of similar, taking a similar uh, route to that. So as we, as we kind of, you know, get towards the end of the interview, Q, I kind of want to just ask you like out of your NFL experience, I mean, there's a lot that we can unpack there. I want to ask the same question that I had earlier about Boise State, but who was one of the most influential teammates that you had or coaches, and what did you learn from them? Like, what did you take away from them? Why were they one of your most influential teammates? Oh, man, there's so many. Um, I talk – I mean, I feel like I talk about about these these guys a lot, but it's so true. Um, Brian – so I would say Brian Dawkins, um, Reno Mahe, who was a good friend of mine, Sheldon Brown, and then coaching, um, of course, Andy, Sean McDermott. And what, I, what I've learned is that I took a little bit from each, each one of those guys. Um, Brian, I, I, I learned how to, you know, be a good man, be a good husband, how to focus on doing my job, how to, you know, how to take care of my body and, and get that longevity. So I learned all those things from watching him. From Reno, I learned the importance of, you know, enjoying, enjoying the small moments, but putting your family first, enjoying, um, you know, having the humility to just go out and do whatever needs to be done to to get to keep your job, and um, I learned that from him. Sheldon Brown was was a, a really good friend of mine too. Um, we, we had the same agent for a while. And, you know, I kind of learned from Sheldon, like off the field stuff, how to take care of your business and your money and stuff like that. So all those guys, I learned little different things and I kind of pulled it, pulled it all into myself. Uh, of course, from Andy, I learned like the mental part of the game, how to focus on myself and how to get myself through a game and through injuries and through all those things and how to focus. And then through Sean, Sean McDermott really, um, really molded me into the player that I am because, like I said, he was one of the first people that I talked to. And when he, when I first went to the Eagles, he was just coming out of being a quality control coach, and then he was working with the safeties. And so he was very instrumental in my development as a player on and off the field. And to this day, a lot of stuff that he coached me is stuff that I coach, um, you know, my, my, my players at Rocky and that I've coached other players at the other places that I've been. And so those guys, all, all those guys had key influences on my life while I was in the NFL and they helped me kind of build me into the person that I am and the person that I was when I was playing. And like I said, a lot of that stuff is still with me to this day. So they must be uh, doing all right. <laughs> That's dope, man. I love that. And, and you mentioned Dawkins and I have to say this on record on air. He looked so sick in his uniform and his visor. Like it was like the dopest. Like he looks so hard, man. Like it was like 
I hate the Eagles, but dude, he was so dope. Everybody, like, that's the look good, feel good, play good style. Like, that's what you want. Like, every player should look like that. Like, put the dark visor on. Let's go. It's like the LP <laughs> style thing. Like, just, oh, man, his man. his intros, his intros were so crazy, man. Like, uh, it, we used to when we get in the line for when the defense would come out and. Before I was a starter, we'd all be just kind of guessing, okay, what's he going to do today? Is he going to gorilla roll out? Is he going to, you know, come out and flex? Like, what's he going to do? You know, he he might come out during the worm for all we know. So, <laughs> yeah, awesome. he had the energy. That's so sick, man. Okay, so what was your favorite memory in the NFL, though? You got a lot. You got a lot of a lot of years in there and, and, and playing various teams. So, like, did you have a favorite game or memory uh, that, that you can remember, like, whether it was practice, whatever? Oh, there's so much. Um Probably the two that really um, probably stick out was my first interception um, when we were playing the Giants. They used to they used to flex out Jeremy Shockey. This is like he was for all those that don't know. Jeremy Shockey was like the original like Travis Kelsey. Like Travis he was Kelsey, that type of player. Kittles, and, uh, yeah, yeah. They would flex him out on goal line, and I was playing a little bit of spot duty in goal line back when I was a, a second year player, or maybe it was my first year. And uh, they ran a fade route to him and Eli threw a fade to him and I picked it off. That was like my first interception. So that one was sticks out of my head. And then my first big play was um, I uh, blocked the field goal against the Chargers and Matt Weir ran it back for a touchdown. Um, this was, I think this was a Super Bowl year. And uh, yeah, those two are probably my, my biggest ones. Cause like, that was the first time that I, I felt like I got recognition for anything that I was doing on the field. So there you so go. sick, dude. And yeah, I'm so glad you're name dropping all these people, man, because these youngsters don't understand shocky. Like before his injuries, like was nasty. And he had the sickest tattoo when he went and he got his whole arm, like done. Everything was, it was so dope, dude. Yeah. Everything. He was nasty, man. Yeah, he was so, good. And, and as a tight end myself, I always kind of looked up to the, like any tight end that was really good. So like he was one of those guys are like, dang, I wish I was physically gifted like that. He's just nasty. That's cool, man. You got the interception guarding him. That's, that's dope. So Q, you're coaching now. Um, you've been coaching for a little bit, but you're going over to Rocky and, and we, we you know, we, we have yet Rocky high, Rocky mountain high school here in the treasure Valley of Idaho. So for those who are listening, don't know, it's one of the more uh, dominant schools, one of the dominant football programs here in Idaho in in the top division five, a um, that we have here. So they're co constantly in contention for a state championship is basically what I'm trying to get out there. So for anybody who didn't know, and um, I'm just curious, like what can we expect from you and, and your players this year? And then what are you like taking, how, how is the transition from playing to coaching? What do you feel is like one of your biggest strengths and one of your, like one of the toughest things being a coach compared to being a player? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I've, I've actually, so once I retired, um, it's funny, my, my um, youngest son, he's now 13, but he started, playing tackle when he was uh, seven. And so I've been kind of coaching him and I've kind of learned how to take very complicated, um, you know, defenses and concepts and being able to, you know, I don't want to say dumb it down, but, you know, make it to at a, at a level that each player could understand it. And so I kind of honed my skills that way. Um, we just recently moved here from New Jersey out last August. And so, Previous year, I was a defensive coordinator at um, Clearview High School in, in Clearview, in uh, Mullica Hill, New Jersey. And the year before that, I was a safeties coach. So I have a little bit of experience coaching at this level. Um, coaching is what I love to do. And, um, you know, it comes second nature to me. So um, I, I think I'm very prepared for it. And I, I think the, the other part of your question, I think the, the thing that's going to be 
that that is most difficult is and I don't think it's difficult for me, but being able to, like I said, find places for each player and put them in the best position. That's what coaches naturally do, but also trying not to get in my own way. Because a lot of times, and I've, I've talked about this as a player, some of our best games as players were when we had the most simplified game plan. And that's what I want to get back to is simplified game plan, game plan, let the players go and play. We'll adjust some stuff here and there and we'll, you know, change up some things. But for the most part, being able to coach them up off the, you know, off, I mean, coach them up in the week during practice and then cut them loose on Friday and let them play. So that's my mindset going into it. And I have to kind of, you know, check myself because I can get real quick into like the different zone blitz and schemes. And I got all kind of stuff, you know, zero coverages and all kind of crazy stuff. But, you know, that's not needed. And so, you know, we'll, uh, We'll just try to do it that way. Ah, oh, it's so exciting, man. We're <laughs> I'll tell you when I saw your name pop up and uh it was popping around, I'm like, oh, they have no <laughs> idea what they have coming over here. That is so awesome. I'm excited to kind of see what you guys put together and I appreciate your time. I just want to ask you, you said um earlier you had mentioned a podcast that you do. If you're still doing that, do you mind dropping the name of that so we can you know, put that in the description of the podcast here. Yeah, it's called the Q and A podcast. We we've, we've kind of been on a little bit of hiatus since the end of the season, but we we normally talk. Me and Jason Avant, former teammate, former player, receiver with the Eagles. We've uh, last couple of years we've been, um, you know, breaking down the Eagles and talking about, you know, all the stuff that's going on, all the transactions, all the you know games and all that stuff. So it's been a lot of fun. Um, hopefully, we can continue. I know Jason's got a lot of stuff going on. He's got some businesses and stuff. So. We're working on it, but inside the birds on YouTube and it's called Q and a, um, you know, podcast. So check it out. If you get a chance, there's some old ones still up there. They're pretty fun. Let's go. We'll link that here. <laughs> I'll, I'll find it and link it in the description uh, for all these ugh, Eagles fans. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, but I'll, I'll still show some love. Uh, my Cowboys fans will hate me for it, but I'll still show some love. Cause I, I enjoy talking to you. So it's all good, man. Much, much love and respect you. I just appreciate you joining the show and uh, taking the time out of your day to, to, to talk with me. So I I'll be rooting for you though. And we'll be in contact here in the near future. All right, my man. All right, man. Appreciate it. Thank you. Appreciate you. Thank you. And for everybody who's listening, make sure you're subscribed to the show. We'll be coming to you next week with another one. Take care guys. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of my show. Now, if you could go and do me a favor, head over to iTunes, give me five stars and leave me a review. It'd be greatly appreciated. Thanks guys. Appreciate your support.